Welcome back, listeners. This week on the podcast, we are welcoming Eric Singleton as the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum's curator of ethnology. He curated the exhibition Nations at War, Field Sketches of a Pawnee Warrior, which you can go see at the museum in Oklahoma City through January 21st. These sketches by Pawnee artist and soldier in the U.S. 45th Infantry Division, Brahmin Echohawk, depict prisoners of war and other soldiers from around the war from around the world during World War II. We'll talk more about that in a second, but first, a word from our sponsor. You are called to be bold. You have a right to the best wireless service, high-speed internet, and customer service at a price that you can feel good about. At Bravado Wireless, we know this, and that's why we put you and your community first. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Well, as we all know, there are so many great museums in the state. Be so they many. Art, history, culture, science, uh, a mix of all the things. Um, there's a good way. For, it's a good way for curious-minded people to pass an afternoon, and also a great way to get uh, to know many of the Oklahoma small towns that have fantastic museums. Today, we're going to go the extra mile, though, with this question. I want to know what is your all-time favorite exhibit that you've seen at an Oklahoma museum. And this can be a permanent exhibit. This can be a temporary or a touring show. Um, so, uh, Nathan, what is your all-time favorite? Um, I, have, I, thought, I thought a lot about this because obviously there have been many. Um, I'll say this morning, and we're going to have him on the podcast later, we were over at the Preston Singletary exhibit yes. at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. And it's quite amazing. So that's way up there for me right now. But um, uh, I want to say Kehinde Wiley at Oklahoma mm, City Museum of Art. That's one of my answers. I've got a better story, though, because uh, so my husband, Brian, his granddad was Don Wallace, um, which if you don't know, Don Wallace was a an outdoor. He had an outdoor show in Oklahoma for decades and decades and decades. He was like the first he was a radio DJ on uh, KXY back mm-hmm. in the day. Like he's known like everybody knows him um, anyway. So at one point at the History Museum. At the Oklahoma History Center, they had an exhibit about fishing and fishing shows, and there was a whole piece about Don Wallace mm, in that exhibit. Yes. And so I just have this memory in my head of Brian standing there just staring at that. Aww. And it's a, just a really precious memory for me. Like, just watching him just kind of take this in um, was it's, – it's one of my favorite mental images of him. Yeah. So that one that one's high up there for me, too. Yes, and that was right around the peak. I mean, that was like kind of the peak, or when I first heard about Gende Wiley, that's when that exhibit yeah. was going on. Yeah, like, so that was an amazing exhibit. Mm-hmm. It was so unbelievably. It good. really was. Yeah, uh, Carly. Uh, so I have two answers. Mm-hmm. One of them is a regular. I don't know if you'd really call it an exhibit. I call it an exhibit. But if you go to the Pigeon Museum in Oklahoma City on Saturdays, and, and the weather is nice, they will pull the pigeons out. And you can see live pigeons in cages, and they have, like, curly feathers and, like, funny feet, and they're just amazing. And if uh, one of the curators has time, they'll let you hold one of the pigeons, and it is just the best experience. Um, But also, the John Newsom Nature's Course exhibit at Oklahoma Contemporary last year, these, like, grand animal paintings were just like it was so epic and i <laughs> aspire to one day have enough money to purchase one of those for my that's home that's good that's a good life goal oh gosh it's so it, you could just have an entire wall that's just one of his paintings and it would be so cool that's awesome good answer mm-hmm. good answer uh megan photo editor megan rossman 
Um, I really like everything that Factory Obscura does. Oh yeah, and, wonderful. Right, you know, mixtape is their the current thing that they have going on. But before they got into that building, you know, they had other. There, mm-hmm. there was one that was on South Robinson yeah. that, that you walked through. That and was cool. It was in that it, old gas station at that old tire shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and I really liked that one. And the very first thing they had at, a, what was that gallery? The it was one, over on 12th and Penn, by, yeah, the, the by, there by the Taqueria. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I really liked that as mm-hmm. well. Current Studio, Current I think. Current Studio, yeah. That's yeah. where it was. Yeah. And, yeah, so... I, I like any sort of immersive art experience that mm-hmm. you can sort mm-hmm. of walk into. Yeah. They, so, they um, also did one at um, the Fred Jones Museum. Like oh, a yeah. Little, mm-hmm. yeah. A little one. I took, right. I took my niece to see that, and that was super fun. And it was like a 10-minute like a thing, but it was really cool. That's yeah. cool. I took and my I, niece and nephew to King's Head. Oh, when they did King's Head, oh, they yeah, had a yeah. great time. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and we just did that thing. They have that new thing where you can like lay in there and listen to the music, mm-hmm. and you have your what little 3D called? glass. I can't remember no. what it's called. Oh, man, I just thought of another one, though, that mm. uh, video game exhibit at Oklahoma Contemporary. That oh, was yeah, so cool. good. That was really cool. And also Art Now, which I believe they do yeah, every two they, years I think at, so, yeah. Um, Oklahoma the Art Contemporary. of Food. Art Now, I really like yeah. because it's lo- it's Oklahoma artists, yeah. and every time I go, I'm pretty blown away by the talent in yeah. this state. I think I might so. actually go over to Oklahoma Contemporary tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We, it's Veterans should. Day. We have the day off. Mm-hmm. And I was trying no, to think about what things to do. I might go over there and walk around. It's a really nice place to walk around and just spend yeah. like an hour or two. And, you know, as people will learn in this upcoming issue of Oklahoma Today, they have an excellent cafe. I know I have to write that story <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and you, it, it is within walking distance of our mm-hmm. office. That is um, nice. It's yeah, a walk I've taken a few times. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, so one... That really sticks out to me is uh, at the Bob Dylan Center, the um, sort of Dust Bowl simulator. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah, the Woody Guthrie Center. Uh, The Woody Guthrie Center. Yeah, yeah, that thing is cool. The Dust Bowl simulator? Yeah, it's a sort of a VR uh, experience. Um, It's sort of decorated like a porch front. Uh You put on your uh, VR headset, and it shows you a 360... uh, rendering of what it would have been like to watch uh, the Dust Bowl uh, like blow in. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, really it's pretty cool. Interesting. And uh, it's like it's scary, and it made history come alive for me, which yeah. I think is the ultimate compliment of a exhibit like that. That's so. cool. Um, at the Okfuskie County Historical Society in Okima, speaking of Woody Guthrie, they have the front porch of Woody Guthrie's house. Mm-hmm. I've been there. In there, and you can go see it. Isn't that cool? I stood on that porch. Yep, it's pretty yep. neat. So. Yep. Very cool. Um, well, what did what did people have answers on social media? Did yes, they have opinions? People were so uh, inspired by this question. Nice. It's weird. People stating opinions on social media is so weird. Yes, I know. Uh, it's the first. <laughs> Tana Barnes said, "Many years ago, I saw a wonderful Thomas Moran, uh, the famous mm-hmm. watercolor painter, yeah. exhibit at the Gilcrease Museum in Tulsa." Ooh. Oh, yes. Yeah. We can't wait for Gilcrease to come back. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, Leslie Moreland Purcell said the Beatles exhibit at the Woody Guthrie Museum. Oh, yeah. The Springsteen mm-hmm. exhibit there was really good, too. Yes, they have mm-hmm. a lot of good ones. Yeah. Um, right now, there is a Billie Holiday uh, exhibit cool. at the Woody Guthrie Museum that yeah. I really want to check out. Totally. Sean Perkins uh, from uh, hey, the, yes, the Rural Oklahoma Museum of Poetry. Uh, Sean said, well, I'm cheating, but I'm going to say the current exhibit at the museum I run, the Rural <laughs> Oklahoma Museum of Poetry, and the exhibit Her Kind, 
the witch in history, popular Ooh. culture, and poetry. Y'all, let's Neat. drive up to Locust Grove and see that. That sounds good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Such a cool museum. It is a cool museum. Sky Doggett said, I believe it was April 1999. It was an exhibit in honor of Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. The exhibit was so moving, and there was a lady there whom I met that had survived Auschwitz. Oh, I've no. never forgotten that day. I'm That would be incredibly impactful. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Lacey Wooten said, I really enjoyed the Bright Golden Haze exhibition. Oh, yeah. So good. Me yeah. too. Yes, they're... Uh, that was long. their opening exhibition. Yes, they're, yeah. and they're, um, it had to be delayed. Yeah. COVID, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the night, oh, do you remember yeah, this? we were going to go. The night that COVID shut down the Thunder Game, and the world mm-hmm. that was the night the world shut down, it happened here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why am I getting like a little something in my throat emotion talking about this? Oh. That's weird. It but remember, you know, event. like it was like the Thunder Game was about to start, and they were like, oh, everybody yeah. get out of the building. Oh, yeah. That night, remember, you and I were invited, or yeah. maybe the next night, you and I, I were invited we were to that so opening, in, and like, I was, we were so excited, and we couldn't yes, go. Yes, and then it didn't happen. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I was like, COVID. That was not... The last time I, I said COVID yeah. and uh, shook my fist. No, <laughs> far from the last time. It's a good answer, yeah. Um, this was a popular answer. Sherry Peters said the Monet exhibit at the Philbrook. It was amazing, um, yeah. Sarah Popjoy, uh, Popejoy, excuse me, said the the Frida Kahlo exhibit at the mm-hmm. Philbrook. Ooh, oh, that one yeah. was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. The Philbrook, it just can do no wrong. It's such a great museum. It's yes. such a great museum. A uh, friend of the magazine, Jerry Bennett, Hey, Jerry. Said uh, the Science, Science Museum, Oklahoma, oh, hosted yeah. an utterly fantastic gallery of stop motion models and concept art from Ray Harryhausen, and oh, will remain yeah. my favorite show ever. And I have to agree. Um, I saw that show, and I went through this serious phase of Sinbad and uh, Clash of the Titans. <laughs> I was absolutely. It obsessed. was a good exhibit. It was really good. Yeah. Yes. Um, Scruffmeister44 on Instagram, <laughs> which. As far as I can tell, it's the, the account of a dog. Okay. Uh, so T.C. Cannon, The Edge of America at the uh, Gilcrease, mm. Goosebumps even typing it, soul leveling. Wow. And, uh, That's TC, a good word to describe an exhibit. That is really good. Yes. Uh, T.C. Cannon, the uh, Native American artist from Lawton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Uh, Jennifer Walton Adams says that uh, it's a small museum, but my family loves to visit the mummies. At the Maybe Guerra Museum. Yeah, yeah that was good. Great, Megan, you a, wrote a great story about the Maybe Guerra. That's a, a great museum. Years ago. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, we had fun it, photographing that. They have that. such a variety of very just eclectic art. Yeah, it is very eclectic, yeah, and I I really like the eclectic mm-hmm. uh, exhibits and museums. So it's perfect. For yes, me. the Same. Maybe Guerra Museum in Shawnee. Yeah, yeah it's a that great. That inspired museum. me to create my own cabinets of curiosity. So oh, I have yeah. lots of little cabinets around my house that have weird crap in it. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know what's another great annual exhibit is pre. West at the Pre-de-west National Cowboy Museum. At the Cowboy if every you spring. think it's just gonna be like paintings of men on horse, like yeah, the not what you again, think. it is very. It, it's really varied and there's some of that. There. Don't worry. I mean, there's no, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Don't worry. You will see men on horses and stuff, but yeah. you're, you will see so much more than that. Like yeah. I was just so struck the first time I saw that exhibit. And it's not an exhibit, but the um, the winter art market at FAM oh, has yes. become yeah. a, like I mean it's only been going on, this will be like, I think the third year second or third year of it I but it's got such Carly a cool thing beautiful earrings there for Christmas last year <laughs> it's yes, a good place did. to do I and it's coming them. up yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. 
What else did? Uh, that that was the we keep taking the the, we keep taking everything. Well, that was a it. it was the end of the reader of responses that I had put written down, but it was far from an exhaustive list of all the responses we had. There's a lot. So, do you guys have a favorite like? Because we heard a lot of um, like big high profile name museums. I think we heard all of mm-hmm. the big high profile. But like, do you guys have one that's like a smaller, like lesser known museum that you really love? The Pigeon Museum. Pigeon Museum. That's a good yes. answer. Yeah. That is a good one. Um, uh, you'll, I'll have to think for a second. Okay. <laughs> I really, I thought the Comanche, we went to the Comanche Museum in Lawton. Uh, yes. Carly and Megan and awesome. I in Lawton a couple yeah. weeks ago. That oh, was cool. The, uh, so in Tahlequah, it's not um, the museum, but like the NSU, like the art gallery. Yeah. That's so cool. And I yeah. love getting to see like young people mm-hmm. making art. Yeah. Um, Panhandle State. I haven't seen it, but I keep hearing that they have an amazing. I've actually been to a student art show for Panhandle State oh, here in Oklahoma have... City in the Paseo, and I actually bought something. Um, but I'd love to go see their campus art gallery up no, in Goodwill. The, they have a really cool annual. Uh, the student show up there is real. I remember mm-hmm. there was a sculpture of a shark that appeared to be coming out of an egg, Ooh. and I really wanted it, but I <laughs> that didn't happen. They had a they had a student art show the Panhandle State Student Art Show in the Paseo like ten years ago. Oh, or really? And yeah. I bought an urn. Huh. Maybe to, we so should... I can live in it later. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should do a gallery at some point. I of love this the idea. Student art show. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. They have a we, good program. I, I I love ideas like that. I'm just it's always a question of how far in advance can we get the pieces that right, will be in the right, show. Right, right, now we're right. now we're into process talk. <laughs> yeah. <the> Sorry. <laughs> And that's, that's Nobody the wants to it. hear how we'll the have a staff meeting That's the later. part of it that exactly. always stresses me out. Yeah, <laughs> photography editor Megan Rossman. Well, speaking of exhibitions, let's talk to Eric Singleton with an interview conducted by our old friend Greg Elwell. And we are very pleased to welcome in the curator of ethnology at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Eric Singleton. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we talked a little bit um when uh when this latest batch of exhibits was first opening at the cowboy uh tell us a little bit about the the exhibit that you were curating yeah so the exhibit i'm curating is called nations at war uh field sketches of a pawnee warrior and this is really exciting and for so many on so many levels um these sketches that we're displaying these artworks were done by brahmat echohawk who is a pawnee a uh, soldier and uh, community member. And he did these sketches in 1943. And so these are being put up as part of the 80th anniversary of the landing of Anzio and the landing in Italy uh, as part of the 45th Infantry Division. And what makes these sketches so unique is that uh, <clears throat> no other personnel that we know of that is Native American uh, did these kind of field sketches and really they're kind of a, a part of a legacy of ledger art and warrior art that goes back into the 1800s and not, if not earlier, I mean, potentially warrior art that goes back thousands of years. So you could really argue that uh, what you're seeing here is the last ledger artist, the last Native American ledger artist. And it's uh, it almost gives me goosebumps to think about it. But, uh, you know, if he hadn't done this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And what he did was he drew um, these people that he encountered that he fought beside and fought against. 
uh, from all over the world. And that's why we call it Nations at War, because the 45th was made up not only of Pawnee, but Potawatomi, Cherokee, Muscogee, uh, nations from across uh, America. And then he encountered these people from all over the world. So he has sketches of people from Nepal, East India, Botswana, Morocco, Algeria, Japan, Germany, Greece. And so Nations at War was such a, an apt and fitting title. And uh, had he not recorded this, uh, even these individuals might be forgotten today. Uh, and so he preserved not only his own legacy, uh, a Native American warrior legacy, but the legacy of these individual people who went to Italy 80 years ago and fought um, for one of the first times in Italian history to liberate Italy and not conquer it. Yeah. So you pretty you know, one thing that, that really struck me about this was, um, well, and this is something that comes up, I think, a lot uh, at the at the Cowboy, but uh, Native Americans are obviously not a monolith, uh, and there are so many tribes, uh, and 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 not all of them with great um, uh, working relationships, uh, I guess you could say. And so, uh, as an American soldier over there at working with um, other tribal members, this was also in some ways a chance to kind of be on the same side uh, again um, and and uh, while while serving their country, uh, which had also fought against them. So, uh, you know, very uh, kind of an interesting uh, portrait of, of, of conflict on a number of levels, at least to me. You know, that is a really perceptive observation. And I'm going to be honest, one I hadn't really thought about or dove into too deeply, but you're absolutely right. You know, there's so much tribal conflict over thousands of years for territory, for resources, and and it's not limited to the Americas. It happens all over the world. No, you know? absolutely. Like every, every human comes from a tribe. You know, sometimes those tribes get big enough that they become nations and uh, which you have nation states here, you know, indigenous nation states here. And uh, but I hadn't thought about it and how quick that had changed because, you know, uh, Osage and Pawnee are fighting, you know, within the last 50 or 100 years. Yeah. And yet now they're fighting side by side. And and that is an interesting, a really interesting di dynamic. Uh, that's a cool, cool thought. Well, and, you know, that was just one that that uh, kind of sprung up to me because uh, ledger art, uh, at least in my very limited uh, understanding of it, was also part of the the record of removal uh, for a lot of Native American tribes, uh, people who had been taken prisoner uh, and, and they were given these ledgers uh, basically as like to keep them busy. Um, you know, and so so they're doing art on on the on the paperwork of, of conquerors in some in some cases. And so to see that uh, legacy expanded overseas uh, really fascinates me. But but also um, the, the again, it, it's sort of the 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 evolution of of people at war. Uh, and and so taking this. Uh, this cultural touchstone 
uh, and bringing it forward into a different conflict on a different continent. Uh, just that that sort of thing fascinates me, the, the way that uh, it, so much interconnectedness, I guess. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's really cool. I mean, and you kind of see how much, because what I like to think about it is when Europeans come here to, to America, you have a clash of two old worlds. And that's really what you're seeing, you know, because the Maya are only one of two cultures in the entire history of the world that created zero and they created their own independent language system. Yeah. Um, Europeans don't do that. They steal it. You know? so, <laughs> and they're not alone. You know, so many other people do. Uh, but, you know, so you have this adaptivity when these two old worlds clash and come into contact and you see this evolution and adoption. And so, yeah, ledger art is one of those cool things that prior to that, you'd seen artwork done on on rock art or it was on hides. Uh, and then when the horse is brought into the equation, you know, putting stuff on hides, which is organic, is also a lot bigger. So you get these ledger books and all of a sudden people start putting their war narratives or tribal histories, winter counts are being folded into these books. And then you're right, when um, when the nations are, are, are captured uh, and interred and taken to Fort, Fort Marion, they're given these books and they're told to draw these stories. And, and really these stories begin to change because they became more courtship scenes, daily life scenes. They became this narrative, this, this way to express who we are as human beings. And, uh, and those were started to be, I think the first instance, I mean, I'm sure there's other instances, but one, you know, this commercialization of artwork, yeah. large scale commercialization of artwork, and it becomes flat style. And that's really where you see the, the Native American art movement beginning in the 1900s. It's kind of this adaption of what occurred through uh, ledger art. And, you know, it's really important, you know, Brahmin Echohawk is a historian and I barely needed to do anything. I mean, <laughs> the guy dated these images, like he would say February 10th, he would give me the context, it's written on the back. He's clearly a great artist. He saw himself as a warrior artist and had these brilliant quotes like, I will paint and draw of war as I see it, as I live it. And he was really honest about it. And he showed the truth of it and the brutality of it um, and his place within it. But he saw his place within Native American history as well as he saw himself within American history. Because yeah. that's the thing. Most people wonder, you know, how do you get all of these nations that step up and become the single largest serving demographic in the United States military, it's because they're Americans yeah. and they see themselves as this is their land. And in fact, in World War II, they're the single, single largest serving demographic and they're not even citizens. Yeah. And so, so he really sees himself as wanting to go to war as part of that warrior tradition. And, and he said, you know, cars mean nothing. Houses mean nothing. You're, you're defined in, in this culture by your status as a warrior and he that's how he felt about it and that's why that's why he did it and uh he had a great quote at the end of it they said would you do anything different and he said i would have fought harder <laughs> man so. you know it, it's so interesting because i feel like there is 
certainly in artwork oftentimes a romanticization of war uh it, there's yeah. there's a you know, we want to preserve these sort of epic, legendary battles and the roles of these people stepping up, and then to then to take that and to take that mindset, and then also show and be graphic in some cases, and 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 be really, like you said, being honest about the brutality of war, about the cost of war. I think that is such a, a an interesting kind of clash of styles and purposes. Uh, and to see something that is saying that that this is both a noble cause uh, and also uh, uh, horrific the the horrific outcomes of of what you see in an actual war, I, I you know in that way he he he's not just a great artist, also a really great journalist. I think in in telling yeah. those stories. Um, was there anything uh, that 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 jumped out to you? Anything that you were not expecting to see uh, when you were looking at these images? Uh, you know, all of them. This was one of the most uh, touching exhibitions I've ever done. It's one of the most personal. Um, I first saw these drawings back in 2011, and I was captivated by him. Uh, he is an untrained artist, and yet the depth that you see here is just astounding. Um, the way he centers the images. Uh, but for me personally, we kind of divided these images into two parts. One were these battle scenes and they took place in the province of Salerno, Oliveto, um, these small towns, Eboli, Venafro, but then they transitioned to the landing at Anzio. And then that's where he's wounded. And then the other sketches are him in the hospital and he's sketching these individuals and what stands out the most to me is he captured their souls like each one is so distinctly different like he knew them he talked with them he had to have yeah i mean that's why he knows who these people are but like there's a depth in the eyes there that he captured their humanity and and that's what stood out to me and i think will always stand out to me is is uh, how he was able to isolate each of these people, each of these warriors, each of these soldiers, and give them their own presence and voice in these sketches, uh, which was just, wow. Yeah. There's just a depth that is haunting almost. Did he, did he continue with art after the war? Yeah, and this is actually a great story because he's sketching in the field. And so he's sketching these war drawings in trenches at night. And then someone says, Hey man, this is great. You need to go get, you need to go to school for this. And they said, you should go to the art Institute of Chicago. So he tells this great story because he's got this script that he's, he's written in a journal and he's kind of consolidated so much of this. And uh, he tells this great story that uh, after he gets wounded in 44, he's sent back home he goes straight to Chicago and keep in mind that he never graduated high school. He hmm. definitely, he did not want to miss going to war. So he left at 17 years old, his senior year and joined the army. And uh, so he goes straight to the art Institute and he tells the director, Hey, I know I, I didn't apply. I don't know how to apply. All I could think of is this is a dream of mine. I just got out of the army. I was in the trenches and all I could think of was you have to survive. 
so you can go to the Art Institute of Chicago. You know, he's like, I'd be pounded by 88s at night. All I would think of is going to the Art Institute. And he said, you know, the, the dean of the, the program was so moved, he was almost crying and said, you're in and handed him a piece of paper. And he walked out and said, man, that's the best con job I ever did. <laughs> And so he's like, man, I should have, <laughs> that was amazing. And so, <laughs> uh, but he's in. And so he ends up getting a degree from the Art Institute of Chicago. He becomes a fine art painter and we have the fine art work that he did. We have a self-portrait in the show. We have one that he did of William Pollock, who was a, a Pawnee warrior with Roosevelt's Rough Riders in the Spanish-American War. Uh, we also have a, a portrait he did of uh, Philip Gover, who lost his arm, was a Pawnee chief. And uh, we did we have a photo or a painting that he did of Ernest Childers, who won the first Native American to win the Congressional Medal of Honor in Oliveto. Um, and Jack Montgomery, who was Cherokee and won the Medal of Honor. So he did fine art paintings of them. He also did... Um, uh, a comic book strip at uh, Oklahoma today called little chief for yeah. years. And so, yeah, he was a little bit of everything. I mean, the guy was just incredible. We have a photo of him painting with a Bowie knife that he apparently took with him to war. And so, and what's amazing is I actually just got back from, uh, from Italy uh, three days ago and uh, they honored him at the 80th anniversary of the opera, uh, Operation Avalanche Museum in Eboli, Italy. Oh, man. And the mayor was there, all the dignitaries, the head of the museum. Um, there were people from the, the governor of Salerno. Uh, and uh, the Pawnee gave us his personal war song to play. And his nieces came with me. And we stood, and I have it on video of them playing his war song back in Italy. And they put a display of his sketches back up. And they're going to travel this to every town the 45th liberated in Italy for the next year. So it's going to go to Pestum. It's going to then go to Oliveto. It's going to go to every town that the 45th liberated. And I went to the location and found the exact spot that Ernest Childers was on when he won the Congressional Medal of Honor and that Echo Hawk based his painting on. And Echo Hawk's niece, Louise, uh, um, or I'm sorry, Lucille, she was standing in that spot, the exact spot that he has the painting of Ernest Childers in, in the museum, in the exhibit, with this little shack in the background and a Roman aqueduct off to the right. And so I had Lucille stood in that exact spot, and there it was. It was, it was like, there we were. 80 years ago, today, to that date. Oh, my uh, gosh. To that date. And the reason they opened it on September 19th was that was the exact date that they liberated the town of Italy oh or Italy in Italy. Yeah. So that is amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, yeah. one thing we had talked about a little bit before is that um, the direction of, of the museum as a whole has, has long been going in um in a very, uh, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. The museum is fighting in some ways against uh, common misconceptions about the American West. Um, there are, you know, there's there's so much myth 
uh, and so much mythology, but there obviously was a lot of truth and a lot of things that that were uh, that were not painted, that were not uh, covered, or at least not exhibited. And so, uh, with this and and with some of the other uh, exhibits that are going on right now, the women in Wyoming, uh, uh, the King Ranch, a legacy in art, um, and uh, the Black Cowboys, an American story. Uh, the museum has really pushed uh, so much of what I feel like is a is a forgotten or a hidden side of the American West to uh, to people. What what are the what are the reactions? What what do you hear from the people who are visiting the museum? Uh, is this is this something that they want to see? Is this something that they welcome? The the sort of the the true side of the West, or is this something that they they they're kind of like, well, why aren't there? You know, but cowboys are white, uh, sort of thing. You know, I think you're always going to get a little of both, um, but the vast majority of people have loved it. You know, I think that the people that come in that want that myth are, you know, the people that I, I just don't know if you'd ever be able to give them the myth that they want. Yeah. And so I stopped trying, you know, we, John Wayne is in our Western performers gallery. So is Tom Selleck and, and, and Gene Autry, we have his guitar. And so we tell that story, but these temp exhibits give us a bigger chance to kind of let other people find their West and to kind of break that story down. And it's so important because, you know, whether people want their myth, you know, we also have to, we're, we're, his, we're about history. Yes. You know, and that's the key, you know, we're educators. And, uh, and uh, if you want mythology, go watch John Ford. Um, <laughs> you know, and if you want truth, come to our museum. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're all about because the majority of cowboys aren't white. No. Yeah. Majority of cowboys are indigenous, whether it's Mexican American or North American indigenous people, African American women. You know, there's a diversity, and the cowboy, by definition alone, is this diverse narrative. Yeah, and and that's what's really important. You know, and sometimes we're because of that mythology. You know, I don't know if we'd ever be able to fix that narrative in the public's mindset because uh, I feel kind of like. The cowboy is to America what medieval knights are to Europe or samurai fighters are to Japan. They're a limited part of the history, but at the same time, there's this worldwide acceptance of that's who they are. Fascination. It's just a fascination. And so that's where I think that, you know, you're always going to be, that is, that's our American mythology is the cowboy, you know, yeah. even though it's, it only occurred for like, a 10 or 15 year period, not to say cowboys don't exist, but you know, that yes. roaming, moving up to Dodge city, it, you know, it just, it had such a short lifespan, but it's such a huge impact on who we were um, as a people, but also how we're viewed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't say enough really about how much I appreciate everybody there at the national cowboy and Western heritage museum, because I, I am, always blown away every time I step in the museum every time I see another exhibit uh you guys are putting together so many and, and, and frankly so many things that I I it doesn't even occur to me until it shows up on the wall and I'm like how did I not know that this was a thing how did I how was I not how 
you know, I've lived in Oklahoma almost all my life. And, and there are things that I'm, I'm learning brand new every day uh, that I walk through the, the Cowboy Museum. Um, folks, the, uh, 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 this is uh, just one of the great exhibits over there, but you absolutely do need to get out there and see Nations at War, Field Sketches of a Pawnee Warrior, um, and uh, and these other uh, exhibits are also limited time exhibits. We'll be uh, running through, I, I believe, close to the end of the year. Is that right? Yeah, they'll run through uh, through May. Okay, it's perfect. Well, off and on, you know, some come down a little bit early, so I think this runs through January. But so. uh, but you you still got a little bit of time, but absolutely make it a point to get out there. Uh, if you don't have a membership, frankly, to the National Cowboy Museum, you're missing out because there's so much and it changes constantly. There is, I, I uh, again, that's that's one of those things. I know this is a, a the true for for all sorts of arts and history museums, but every time I walk in there, something new, something I haven't seen, something that blows me away. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for what you guys do. And, and thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and talking to me today, because I, I really, I, I hope, hope, hope so many of our listeners are going to make the, make the trip to the Cowboy Museum. It, it's absolutely worth your time. Well, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. This has been great. Thank you. Oh, we miss Greg. Yes. And we love the cowboy. Mm-hmm. We do so, love the cowboy. That was the place when I was a kid, like growing up out in the country, like if you were coming to Oklahoma City, it was like you would, we would beg to go to the cowboy. Mm, yes. Oh my gosh. We would beg and beg and beg. Like the cowboy and Kirkpatrick Center, which is now Science Museum. Yeah. We would beg to go. Beg. It I was, uh, place. it was as a, as a city boy, it was really impactful to see like actual cowboys. Yeah. Because like, they have real cowboys there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. left a big impact on it. It's a treasure. That place is a treasure. Yes. So cool. We love uh, them. So once again, we're plumbing the depths of TravelOK.com's event calendar for our weekly pod events. Is there anyone who would like to go first? I'll go this first. Week? Carly is going go first. Go for it, Thank Carly. You, Carly. I love reading. <laughs> uh, this is turning into a creative so writing good at it. class. <laughs> Thank you. Adults, this one is just for you. Have you ever been watching a scary movie and thought, boy, I really wish these creepy clowns were juggling flaming torches right in front of my face? (laughs) Or that you wish the masked man wielding the chainsaw would have to traverse a tightrope to reach his terrified victim? Mm. At Paranormal Cirque, you can watch super flexible psychos performing feats of strength and skill that will make you deeply afraid of how much you love it. (laughs) From the costumes and effects to the language, this circus is not for kids. Anyone under 17 requires an accompanying guardian, and anyone under 13 won't be permitted. So leave the little ones at home and have some spooky grown-up fun in Shawnee on November 16th through 19th or Lawton November 24th through 26th. Visit Paranormal Cirque, that's C-I-R-Q-U-E dot com for more info. I watched the trailers for that, uh-huh. uh, Nightmares. I'm I'm going. I called yes. Philip and I was like, we are going to this. I don't know if I'm going in Lawton or Shawnee, but mm. we are absolutely going to this thing and I am so excited. Yeah. That's awesome. Hmm. Sounds like fun. Uh-huh. Sounds like it sounds terrifying, but yes. it sounds like fun. My favorite kind of fun. <laughs> this is a good podcast because we're mixing Halloween events and Christmassy events. It's that special time of year. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Megan, do you have an event for us? Uh, yes. I the Boar's Head Feast is mm. one of many English Christian traditions that has its roots in Roman pagan celebrations. The Romans traditionally served boar as the first dish in a feast. In England, the boar's head was presented as an annual 
at an annual meal, not as an annual meal, that <laughs> no one wants to eat the actual head. Um, I mean, some people might. Anyway, I am getting off the topic. The boar's head was presented at an annual meal and symbolized the triumph of Christ over evil. So since the 1300s, it's been celebrated all across England, and it made its way over to uh, colonial America. And you, too, can partake in the Boar's Head Feast at the Castle of Muskogee on November 18th. For a mere $60 a person, you will dine in the company of Queen Elizabeth and members of the court while you're entertained by minstrels, jesters, and belly dancers. The menu will include charcuterie, soup, salad, dessert, and, of course, the finest boar in England, accompanied by green beans. And once <laughs> I don't I don't know if they ate a lot of green beans in medieval England, but we do now and yep. we gotta adapt with the times. Like so you will have boar and Del Monte green beans, or perhaps there'll be fresh green beans. Who knows? Tell me about the green beans. Yeah, curious. Like I'm curious what kinds of green beans they're gonna be. And then once your insides are merry and stuffed with pork. You'll want to step outside for the grand finale fireworks show, and and there will be more. So for more information, visit okcastle.com. Carly is about to pee in her pants. She's laughing <laughs> so was, hard. That, that was great. That was your best write-up. That was the most Megan really write-up you were yeah. ever Well, done. it was not. We're going to play. Most of that was not. It was me thinking about the green beans. I didn't write that down. Now we're I, all thinking about it. I was I just, I was, I just love that it was like fine boar, Along with green beans. It's, I mean, it sounds amazing. You know, it, I love the Castle of Muskogee. I think oh no, I do fun. too. Yeah. I'm not making fun of it. No, I, I, I always wanted. To, I want to go to that thing one of these years. I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna see what kind of green beans there are. I like it. Well, can I read my next? Because mine also deals with ancient yeah. medieval traditions. Oh, does it deal with green beans? No. <laughs> okay. But I can. Well, I can find a way to work it in. All right. Um, well, go ahead. I'll figure it out. Okay. So uh, I'm just a divinity school dropout. I I went six weeks and quit. So I, you can't go by me, but um, I feel like it's pretty common knowledge now that Jesus of Nazareth was almost certainly not born on December 25th. But, you know, uh, do you guys know how that actual particular date came to be? I find this fascinating. Um, to symbolize Christ's birthday, because the third century historian Sextus Julius Africanus okay. determined, that was his name, determined that the miraculous conception must have occurred because of course it did, on the spring equinox, which that year was March 25th. So March, three months, December, 12 months, pregnancy, nine or so months. The math all checks out, assuming that that assumption about March 25th has any basis in reality. Um, because the Roman Empire had just declared Christianity the official state religion, the choice was seen as an attempt to Christianize pagan celebrations, like Saturnalia and Yule, which happened with great frequency around the winter solstice. Also, Christmas celebrations of the past were nothing like the ones we know today. For many years in the Middle Ages, green beans, the Catholic Church <laughs> <laughs> outlawed the giving of gifts. The Catholic Church actually outlawed gifting at Christmas. You can't but, tell us what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, they very much did. <laughs> yeah. um, because, because of the tradition's roots and the pagan celebrations that have been Christianized, they said, okay, well, the pagans did this, so we shouldn't do it. Um, so for a long time, the real party was Epiphany which celebrates the visit of the three wise men. Um, that was the real party, and Christmas itself was seen as a time of quiet contemplation and prayer. Um, and not the kind of quiet contemplation and prayer a lot of people have now, where they're quietly contemplating how to leave and praying that they get to leave soon. Mm -hmm. uh, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Christmas we know today, no, I'm just kidding, I love Christmas. Uh, the Christmas we know today has most of its traditional roots in the Victorian era, and more specifically the writings of Charles Dickens. Like, A Christmas Carol mm -hmm. is a particularly noteworthy tale you might have read. 
And since we love our Christmas traditions in Oklahoma, you'll want to head to Claremore for Dickens on the Boulevard, a holiday celebration of all things Victorian era. On Friday and Saturday, November 17th and 18th, Claremore's gorgeous downtown will transform into the 19th century with costumed carolers, live window displays, a Christmas-themed wagon ride through town, a living nativity, a Victorian food court, I'm excited about that part, green beans, and reenactors portraying everything from old-timey blacksmiths to woodcarvers and potters. So don't wait until after Thanksgiving. Head to Claremore this weekend and kick off your holiday weekend in traditional style. For more information, call 918-341-5881 or visit downtownclaremore.greenbeans. <laughs> I mean, downtownclaremore.org yes. is the website. Fun. It does. Yeah, that and I want to do that and the Guthrie one. Uh-huh. You know, like all the Victorian mm-hmm. things. I think that would be really cool also to compare the two of them. Yeah. yeah well, totally. it sounds like the perfect event if you're... Um, Having trouble getting into the Christmas season, yes. like yeah. I don't uh-huh. know how you could escape uh, the Dickens uh, experience and I not see, still be humble. I want to see what kind of things they have at a Victorian era food court. Mm-hmm. I bet they have a boar's head. I bet they have some viggy pudding or mm. I don't know. I don't well, really if they don't have green beans, I'm turning around. <laughs> some tarts. Tarts, yeah. Yeah. Hot pies. Yeah. That sounds good to me. It does to me too. Mutton. Some mutton is going to be in what there somewhere. What is mutton? Is lamb. it pig? It's oh. like lamb yeah. intestines, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, no. I'm thinking of haggis. Yeah, I thought it was just haggis. Yeah, haggis is a sheep stomach. Lamb, oh. right? Yeah, I think it, mutton is just like lamb. Oh, okay. Meat. Well, that's as far as I know. More acceptable. Write in and tell us that we're wrong. Right. Ben, what do you Run have? Experts. Uh, well, it goes without saying that here on the podcast, we love animals. Name an animal, and we'll give you a reason to love them, even if it's a llama. <laughs> oh, shade. Yeah. Wow. That was a Major callback. slam on llamas. <laughs> that was a callback to the alpaca uh, llama debate yeah. from last week. I appreciate it. Uh, but there is at least one animal I can think of that is really hard to love. If you're from outside of Oklahoma, you might know them by the name Harvest Mite or Red Bug, mm. but in this day, they're known as the Chigger. Yes, yep. I'm talking about those itchy, scratchy mites that bite you in the summertime when you decide it's a good idea to take a seat in the grass. They're from hell. If I had something nice to say about the Chigger, it would be that I have enemies, and sometimes Chiggers make my enemies feel bad, and the <laughs> enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, it seems people of all backgrounds can unite around their dislike of the chigger. The people of Ardmore especially know this, which is why for the 27th year, they will be holding the annual chigger chase this Saturday at Ardmore Regional Park. For the children's run, those up to age 12 will chase the chigger in a half-mile run along the main race course. Adults will have to go a a bit further in their bug hunt choosing between one-mile and 5K courses. All who participate are encouraged to wear costumes as they race through Ardmore's Festival of Lights displays. Uh, registration is 15 to $30 and can be done online in advance or in person the day of the race. For more information, call 580-223-4844 or visit chiggerchase.nmotive. That's E-N-M-O-T-I-V-E. Dot com. I've never seen a URL like that. Yeah, so. that's interesting. So yes. is there a chigger that they're chasing? Yes, there's Someone a, there's in a costume? dressed, costumed uh, chigger. Okay, yes. what kind of costumes are they encouraging? You know, I looked all over. Oh, well, the costumes that you can wear are just, just whatever you have. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I did not get to see a picture of, of the chigger. Of the chigger, yeah. 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 So, uh, I, I mean, if I can catch them. 
I'll let you know. But that like, seems like it would be scary. I, I think the a trigger. chase race sounds more fun. I want to chase something. I don't yeah. want to run just to run. I know, right? Exactly. I, no, I know. I, Maybe we should have like an angry mob race where you chase somebody with like... If I'm in it, it's going to be an angry mob. I mean, I think there are those who would just institute as a, that as our national system of justice. Well, um, for better or I was worse. thinking like Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. Oh, like yeah. something whimsical. Yeah, I was really rooting for that mob <laughs> in that movie. Um... Well, <laughs> I respect people who can run in costume. I've run a lot of 5Ks, yeah. and I can't imagine doing it in, in a costume. No, That's I couldn't difficult. even, uh, during Halloween, I had to go home and change my costume. That's right, you I did. I couldn't even do the office in the I costume. Know. It's, I know. I mean, good for you if you can handle it, but my costume when I'm running is a guy who is looking forward to not being, to not running any longer. Yes. Mm-hmm. To finishing the race, yeah. yeah. Well, That's what I'm dressed as. It's time for the star of the show, weekly star of the show. Uh, I thought about Green Beans. Um, but instead, I'm going to give it to all the uh, fantastic Oklahoma museums. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Good wow. Um, yeah. Um, Green beans will have their. Day. This is totally yeah. not sponsored, but it's worth saying the Oklahoma Museums Association is a good resource. If mm-hmm. you if you like museums, there's like there's more than 500 of them in the state, and they know what they all are. So absolutely, Oklahoma I look at Museums that Association. Almost every day. It's very useful. <laughs> they're awesome. Like we love them, and not just because they have an ad in the magazine, but because they're very very helpful and cool organizations. So yes. Absolutely. They did not pay us to say that. I'm just saying it because I believe it. No, they did not. Yeah. Although we'll accept the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you like the show and you still can't get enough, head to OklahomaToday.com or pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send your feedback to OKTPod at TravelOK.com. We'll talk to you again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and the Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors, Ben Lucian, Nathan Gunter, Carly Ibarra, and Megan Rossman. Theme song, editing, and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye. Green beans. There's nothing, there's nothing more to say. Green beans. ASMR green.